So if you have a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and open that up to Colossians. If you don't have a Bible, we've got plenty. Courtney would love to bring you one. Just slide your hand up and uh, he'll bring you one so that you have a copy of God's Word in your hand this morning, His all-sufficient truth. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I am excited to get back into the book of Colossians. As you can see, we're, we're slowly making our way through. There's, there's lots to be seen here in the book of Colossians, lots to be learned about uh, who we are in Christ, who Christ is to us, the, the preeminent one. And so we want to pick up every God-inspired word in this letter from Paul. And he's writing to this, this faithful new church. And so there's lots for us to glean from here this morning. As we are a brand new church, there's lots for us to learn from. As this Colossian church was, was facing the pressures of, of a failing economy and, and pagan influence and the rise of, of twisted truth entering the church, we can identify and prepare ourselves for that as well, with the, with the similar pressures that we are experiencing here as a church here in Calgary. So as many in our, in our world today and leaders in our country are suggesting that the Bible is irrelevant and outdated, we as a Bible-believing church hold fast. We hold fast the, to the preeminent truth, the timeless truth of God's words, the truth that our souls need to hear. And it's truth that is always relevant. We never have to make it relevant. Why is it always relevant? It's God's breathed out word to man. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That's what we want to do here as a church. So that you and I can be complete, equipped for every good work. That we'd be better worshipers of God today than we were yesterday. And so we treasure God's word. And so as we do that, we're going to be opening up to Colossians. Colossians uh, chapter 1, looking at verses 12 to 14. And our scripture today is going to focus on thankfulness. It's going to focus on gospel thankfulness, thankfulness of the Christian. And so starting in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Lord, we come to you as, as those who need your help. We need your Holy Spirit's help to help us to understand what you have for us, to teach our hearts the truth that we need to know, that you would transform us further into the image of your Son. And Lord, so we approach you with, with our Bibles open, asking you to speak to us. And you are faithful to do so. And we thank you for that. Thank you for these people. Pray that the Spirit would be at work, changing hearts, transforming us, teaching us. Would you use your word this morning? Would you use the sermon prepared to teach your truth? Would you move me aside and teach what you have for your people? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So let me start by asking you, what do you have to be thankful for today? Are you thankful this morning? Let's just do a quick poll right now. A quick poll from us, and I don't want you to to overthink your answers, don't want you to uh, give the answer that you, you think I want to hear, right? Um, 
Answer this question honestly. First thing that comes into your mind right now, what is, the, what is one of the top things that you're thankful for? What are you most thankful for this morning? And I'm going to ask for some feedback, so I'll pick on somebody here. How about Dre? What are you thankful for this morning? For me, it's Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what I want to hear, right? Yeah. And uh, how about Ben? Ben, what are you thankful for this morning? God's grace, okay. All right, you guys aren't getting to the answers I'm looking for. Those are, those are like top answers. What's that? Community. Community, okay, okay. How about just regular everyday living? What are you thankful for? For my cat. For your cat, all right. She's great. Okay, Aaron's thankful for her cat. Well, we're thankful for your cat too. But it's a good question to be asking yourself. What are you most thankful for in your life? Is it, is it, is it family? Is it friends? Is it health? Is it life? Is it, is it that white stuff that keeps falling outside? Is it, is it your warm home? Is it uh, you know, a car that actually starts in the morning? Uh, is it your church? These are all good things, good realities in life to be thankful for. Um, and you should be thankful to the Lord for all those things. But let's start thinking about our salvation, the realities of our salvation. Are there realities about your salvation that's, that should supersede the things that we are most commonly thankful for, things that we should be eternally grateful for? And so as we look at God's word today, we're going to see that Paul continues in this prayer, and, uh, and his prayer for the church is that they would be thankful. This is a church that's being transformed by the preeminent power of the gospel, and he's calling them to continue to be Thankful, and he's going to point them to some supernatural realities that should produce some exceeding, exceeding thankfulness to God. And so, what we're going to see here in these three verses, we're going to see four preeminent realities that fuel gospel thankfulness. Four preeminent realities that fuel gospel thankfulness. And the first one is found in verse 12. And the first point is this we've been graciously granted what we could not earn. We've been graciously granted what we could not earn. Starting in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So the first thing we see here is that Paul calls this Colossian people to be giving thanks to the Father. The word giving in the original languages is in the plural form, and it's also a present active which is, which is better rendered, you all, just like our, our friends in the States would say, you all, you all continue giving thanks to the Father. Continue giving thanks. And Paul stresses that God's people, those who have just learned in this previous section about their growing faith and, and love and hope and, and this treasure of, of knowledge of the will of God, they are to be continuing to be giving thanks. And he wants them to remember the foundation of their transformation. God is producing fruit in these people's lives. And that fruit is wrapped up in the supernatural realities of their salvation. Like I said, these are, these are, things, that, these are things that cannot be seen. These are things that cannot be touched or smelled or, or tasted. Supernatural realities are no less real. In fact, they're what's really real with respect to eternity. And so Paul stresses that, that you and I ought to be a people marked by exceeding gratitude to God the Father for all that he has done 
for us in salvation. The truth is this, is that the Christian ought to be the most thankful person in a crowd. We ought to be the most thankful person in the room. Because Christians know the reality of their supernatural conversion. And we see this all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Bible. Thankfulness on display because God saves his people. If you look back to the Israelites, remember when they crossed the, 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 sorry, the Red Sea, they were following Moses, following this, this pillar of fire and smoke, this miraculous crossing of the Red Sea on, on dry ground. Once they got to the other side of the sea and God destroyed Egypt's armies, what did they do? They sang. They sang to the Lord in Exodus 15, 1-2. Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will give, or I will exalt him. We see this also throughout the Psalms. We, we read that this morning in 107.1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then later in, in 107, in, in verses 14 to 15, it says, gives you more reason for this thankfulness. He brought them out of darkness. We're going to learn about this later. Brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. We also see angels giving thanks to the Lord. In the end, when it's all finished and God takes us to be with him, the angels look at these millions of people that are saved. And they say, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And so we see thankfulness pervading the pages of Scripture. And how are we doing with our thankfulness? As we see this gospel fruit being produced, we see holiness uh, coming into our lives, a changing behavior, just like this Colossian church. We are to be thankful to the Father. Thankfulness is a clear mark of a true Christian. But what does Paul say we should be thankful for? He says, because God qualified you. God qualified you. This word being translated qualified is only used in one other place in the New Testament in, in 2 Corinthians 3, 6. This is where Paul is is saying that his own uh, qualifications as a minister of the gospel uh, were provided by the Lord. They are sufficient. They're, he is made fit. He is made sufficient, made able. It has the sense of, of being made able to do or to receive something from a power outside of yourself. It's not something that you inherently have. Um, this last Friday, the Winter Olympics started in, uh, in South Korea. I remember as a kid loving watching the Olympics, especially when the Olympics were in Calgary. That was a, that was a highlight of my, my young life. Um, but when people go to the Olympics, they have to qualify to get there, right? If you want to compete, you've got to qualify. And this comes through years and years of discipline and, and training and dedication. You need to become the best in your division and in your region 
and in your province at whatever sport you're training for. You need to become the best in the country in order to qualify to represent your country at the Olympic level. So when you watch those opening ceremonies and you see those thousands of of people walking, those people have qualified to make it to the Olympics. They deserve to be there. They've done the hard work. But when it comes to being qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, to pass that entrance exam, or to receive that citizenship in heaven, the Bible teaches you that your qualifications are not your own. Paul says, God the Father has qualified you, which means it's not by my own effort. I haven't trained long enough. I haven't worked hard enough. It's not because of my own dedication or even my sincerity. It's not based on my merit. It's not based on the culmination of my good works. It means that God himself has provided the sufficient means necessary to make you fit for the kingdom of God. And how did he do this? How did he do this? I'm glad you asked. He did it through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And more specifically, he's done it through Jesus' life. You know, we often talk about salvation uh, being wrapped up in Jesus' death, and that that is definitely 100% true. But we often don't talk about why Jesus had to live. We often overlook the second half of our salvation, It's not just about his death, it's about his active life. Theology calls this his active obedience, that he lived for you. We often ask ourselves that question, why did Jesus have to die? But do you ask yourself the question, why did Jesus have to live? Why did he have to come and live 33 years on this earth as a human? Well, the short answer to this is that it's to qualify you. It's to qualify you and make you fit for the kingdom of God. You see, the standard of qualification for eternal life is absolute perfection. That's the standard. You have to keep God's law perfectly. Jesus said this in Matthew 5.48. You need to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Peter himself says... But as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So when's the last time you ever met somebody who was truly perfect, who was without sin, who kept all of God's laws? Is this even achievable? Ephesians 2 answers that for us. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were dead. Romans 3.10 says, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So we definitely cannot be perfect. 
But God's plan all along was, was to provide you with those qualifications necessary. He provided himself. Even before we sinned in the garden, God's plan was to, to send himself, to send his son to live in your place, to live a righteous life for you. And when he saves you through repentance and faith, believing in his finished work and his life, you receive those qualifications. Your sin, your disqualifications was, was placed on Christ, and he gives you his righteousness. This is the great exchange. This is imputed righteousness. This is what we call justification. The righteousness of Christ's life, Paul says in Romans 4, uh, verses 24 to 25, the righteousness of Christ's life will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised up for our justification. He had to live for you, to give you that qualification, to give you that righteousness. So much to be thankful for. You and I have been graciously granted what we could not earn. We've been given Christ's righteousness, and we get to share in the inheritance of this promise of heaven. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see his qualifications wrapped up in there. Being born of God, he qualifies you. And so Paul prays for us to continue reminding ourselves of this. Continue to give thanks to the Father who has qualified us. And as you and I come to understand this incredible reality, the, the beautiful thing is that God gets bigger and we get smaller. We need that. We need God to get bigger in our minds because he is. And what this does is it produces true Christian thankfulness. Yes, we're thankful for all the things God has given us in this world, and we should be thankful, but for this reality alone, that I couldn't get there on my own, and God gave me his righteousness, his qualifications, that he made the way, let that fuel your gospel thankfulness. Let that give you much gratitude, and let that gratitude call your heart to worship to worship at all times, to worship in the hard times, to worship in the good times. Paul reminds us because we need to be reminded. We need to continually be reminded. Let's, uh, let's say, for example, you're a, you're a Christ follower and you still struggle with sin. Anybody still struggling with sin in this room? Yeah. And sometimes maybe you're struggling in a season of, of hard struggle. And, and, and you may even wonder, am I really saved? You may, you may wonder if, if maybe I've lost that inheritance. Maybe you, you question this assurance that you're told of that Christians can have. In those moments, you need to remember that you're truly Christ's and you are qualified by Him. It's by His qualifications in your, in your sanctification, in your growing in holiness, sometimes it's easy to stop and be focused on this sin right here. And, and it may cause your thoughts to, to go sideways. Remember, in your sanctification, you see that sin, but you should always be looking at the cross. 
Look at the sin. That's good. Examine it. Yes, we want to grow from this, but my qualifications aren't in this. My qualifications are in Jesus Christ on the cross. His life lived for me. That's my qualification. It even comes up when we're struggling with the pain and the strife of this, this world, the suffering world of sin. Remember that Christ has qualified you to inherit eternal life, and there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering, no more tears. It's all because of his qualification that you get to partake in the inheritance of the saints in light. So much to be thankful for. We've been graciously granted what we could not earn. And then point number two. We've also been mercifully liberated from our bondage to darkness. We've been liberated from our bondage to darkness, starting in verse 13. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Just like we just read in Ephesians 2. Before Christ, we were dead. We were dead in our sin. You and I were children of wrath. We were sons and daughters of disobedience. We were being dominated by the prince of the power of the air. Scripture teaches us a lot about ourselves. And uh, Romans 1, 31 gives us a little more insight into our lostness, into our deadness. We were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, we are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. We are gossips. We are slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. This is a good one for the children. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Romans 3, 13 to 18 says, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. They are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. That was us. The truth is, apart from Christ, we are citizens of this domain of darkness, which really means that we were held captive under the authority of our sin, which leads to death. We were storing up God's wrath against ourselves, and we were set to inherit not the life of the saint in heaven, but we were set to inherit eternal death in hell. That was our destination. That's where we were going, and it's what we deserved because we continued to overlook God's grace and mercy. We continued to suppress the truth of God with a lie, suppress it with unrighteousness. But God had a plan. He had a plan to liberate us from this authority, from this domain of darkness. He had the plan to send his son. I like to picture it like this. Just picture that you've, you've chained yourself to an anchor. You're on a boat in a raging sea, and you've chained yourself to this anchor. Your hands are cuffed. Your feet are shackled. Your torso is, is wrapped up so tight and, and chained to that anchor that you can't move. And then you plummet into the deep and dark ocean, to, to the icy waters. And you, and you fall so deep in the water that, that the sunbeams from the surface vanish. It's pitch black. You're, you're all alone. And then you finally hit the floor 
of the ocean and you exhale your last breath, your eyes close and your heart stops and death overcomes you. This is our natural, our supernatural state apart from Christ. We're bound to this domain of darkness. But the beauty, the beautiful news is that Jesus was sent on a rescue mission. He was sent to liberate us from our bondage to sin, liberate us from sin and death. He came to set the captives free. And so when you picture yourself dead at the bottom of that ocean, it's like Jesus Christ diving into that raging water, diving down to the depths of your depravity, unshackling you from the weight of your sin and shuttling your dead corpse up to the water's surface. And he lays you out on the boat. He breathes life into your lungs, raising you from the dead, and you are free. You are made alive, and you are free. You've been liberated from your slavery to sin and death forever. That's the beauty of what's actually happened. So how does that help our thankfulness this morning? Does that bump up our gratitude meter at all? This should, because it should change everything. It should change our whole outlook. We should be so thankful. The Christian should be the most thankful person in any setting. You're not a slave anymore. You're not guilty anymore. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is the truth you need to preach to yourself. You need it. I need it daily. Also in John 8, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You've got to remember your freedom. Remember what you've been saved from. So Paul wants this Colossian church, and he wants us this morning to, to fuel our thankfulness by remembering that we've been mercifully liberated from our bondage to darkness. Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Praise the Lord for that. But more than just delivering us from our sin, he also radically raised us to new life in Christ. That's point number three. We've been radically raised to new life in Christ. So Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This word transferred has, has the meaning to, to bring over, to move, or to, to remove. And it's used in Scripture to explain what happens when a nation would conquer a nation. And once you would overpower that nation, you conquered them, you would take their people and bring them back to your kingdom. We see this in biblical history. We see this as the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians in, in 722 BC, and they were taken from their homeland and resettled in the land of the Assyrians. We also see this in 586 BC. The southern kingdom of Judah was conquered. The city of Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed and burned, and King Nebuchadnezzar took many of the Jewish people into captivity in Babylon. It's the same sense. 
being conquered, and then being taken to your kingdom. So when Jesus conquered sin and death, and he set you free from your sin, he doesn't just walk away. He saves you to himself. He saves you to his church. You've been raised from your death, and you've been transferred to new life, to new citizenship in the kingdom. He doesn't just set you free to be free. He sets you free to be found in him. As Jesus rescues you from from the tyranny of, of that battle with sin, he doesn't just drop you off on the outskirts of the kingdom that he just conquered and says, you know, figure out your own way. He knows that's not how it works. No, he immediately brings you into his kingdom, his family, his church, and he hands you a passport, so to speak, And the passport would say, it might say, Robert Glavin, citizen of heaven. It might say, Tim Weeb, eternal member of the family of God. Or or Trevor Tooney, servant of the Most High. Or Maggie Sneeman, citizen of the beloved King. You are stamped. You have your identity purchased and you're found in his kingdom. That's who you are. So you and I aren't just freed to be free. True freedom in the economy of God is being saved to serve the Lord, the beloved Son of God, to live for Him, to abide in Him, to be found in Him, to have His Spirit in you, to grow in Him, to worship Him, to love Him. You are set free to be transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son. And it's something you have right now. You have it right now. Christ rules in his kingdom right now. The beloved son rules his kingdom at the right hand of the father. He's shepherding his church. He's upholding the universe by the power of his word. And he will also rule in full glory when he returns to his millennial kingdom and ultimately his eternal kingdom. But we have it right now. He's ruling. Kingdom citizenship starts at the moment that you are saved. If you're a Christian this morning. You are a citizen of the kingdom. And so how are we doing as citizens? Are we representing our king? Are we living for our king? Are you living under his lordship? Do we, do we forget that, that our home is not here? Our home is in heaven with him. Are you, are you turning back to the domain of darkness at times? Are you foolishly longing for the shackles of your sin that once held you captive? This is something we really need to get our minds wrapped around. Are we embracing the identity that is stamped on our eternal passports? Or like Israel, are we returning to Egypt at times? Are we living for the eternal kingdom or for the temporary distractions? I'll give you some questions to ask yourself this week to meditate on. Some questions to see where you're at. First one is this, what am I loving the most? What am I loving the most? What would others say I love the most? Would, would others say about me without a doubt that this guy or this, this woman loves and lives for Jesus? What are the things that I talk about most? What brings me great delight when I think about it? 
What brings me joy? Is, is, it, is it Christ or is it lesser things? Another question, what am I spending my time on? As you look at all these things that we devote our lives to, and, and yes, life is busy, and then you compare all of these things to your devotion to God's word, to prayer, to God's people, do your devotions tell the real story of who you're devoted to? What am I spending my time on? Where am I placing my trust? So when it comes to my, my health or my finances or my relationships or, or any kind of security, am I trusting in them more than Jesus Christ? Do I say that I trust Jesus Christ, but the minute that my finances or my health get turned upside down, do I grow ex exceedingly anxious and fearful? Where am I placing my trust? Where am I finding my worth? So what am I chasing that really gets my heart going? What do I give my life to that I'm extremely proud of? What am I really good at, right? Is it work? Is it, is it sports? Is it fitness? Is it a career or family? My children? My marriage? Where am I finding my worth? These are some good questions to ask ourselves about the things that can steal away our identity in Christ. So are we living for the kingdom of the beloved Son? Or are we living for our own kingdoms? The point is that Jesus never saves us from, he always saves us to. So he saves us from, but he doesn't leave us there. He saves us to his kingdom, to his care. So are we living like kingdom citizens? Are we living like we are truly alive in Jesus Christ? Are we loving him most? Are we devoting ourselves to him first? Are we trusting in him alone? And are we finding our ultimate worth in him? Paul reminds us to fuel our gospel thankfulness by remembering that we've been radically raised to new life in Christ. And then we see a final fuel here for gospel thankfulness. And it's the reality that we've been eternally forgiven the totality of our sin. We've been eternally forgiven the totality of our sin. Verse 14. In whom, Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So not only have we been qualified by his perfect life and set free from our, our bondage to sin and raised to new life, but we have been redeemed. And we have been forgiven all of our sin, past, present, and future. Also notice that Paul doesn't say that the Colossians will have redemption. He says that they have redemption. This word redemption is in the present tense, not future, meaning that the Colossians and you and I right now have redemption. We have been purchased. We have been ransomed. We have been rescued. We have been redeemed. And it's this present reality that we get to rejoice in today because along with with being freed from our sin and our shame, freed from cursing the name of God, we have eternal, absolute forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ. We'll spend much more time on this later in Colossians and in chapter 2. 
where Paul says in verses 13 to 14 of chapter 2, he says, and you who were dead in your trespasses, this is like Ephesians, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, not just some of our trespasses, not just the trespasses up to today, all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What amazing reality. So the plan before the foundation of the earth was total and complete redemption and forgiveness for those who turn to the Lord, turn from their sin, trust in him. Is this, is this you this morning? The very character of God himself through all of Scripture, he's wrapped up in redemption and forgiveness. This is the theme of Scripture from day one to, to day end. It's all about redemption. It's all about redemption for the glory of his name. Do you remember when Moses interceded for the Israelites at Mount Sinai? And remember, God relented of destroying them for their sin. And then God agrees to show Moses his glory. Remember when he covers Moses with his hand, he puts him in the cleft of the rock, and, and he's going to show Moses his glory. And then he proclaims his very name. And he defines himself in his name in Exodus 33, 34. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, this is who I am, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, and this, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. We witness God redeeming and forgiving people from the beginning of Genesis to Revelation from, from Adam and Eve to, to Noah and his family to the, the thousands of Israelites in Egypt to the Israelites in the Babylonian captivity to the thousands of new Christians on that day of Pentecost, God saving people, forgiving people, and right up to the Christian church today, right up till this moment, God is in the business of forgiving and saving. It's He who forgives. It's because who he is, it's, that, that's who He is. It's his character. He loves to receive the glory through the forgiveness of sin. God is the true forgiver. When you turn from your sin and, and you confess your sins to the Lord, 1 John 1, 9 says he is faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not some unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. And so if you want to be truly thankful this morning, Remember how much you've been forgiven. When it comes to your sin, God chooses to forgive you. And in that forgiveness, forgiveness is that he doesn't hold it against you anymore. In Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my name's sake, and I will not remember your sins. How are we doing with that when we approach relationships, choosing to forgive one another? Are we choosing not to hold that against our partner or our friends anymore? Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. His forgiveness is without limit, and it is total. 
In Hebrews 8.12, God says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. This is true forgiveness. This is total forgiveness. This is your God. He is merciful. He is gracious. And he is forgiving. So let this reality soak in. Let this reality that you have been eternally forgiven, the totality of your sin, may that fuel your gospel thankfulness this morning. And may it lead to your heart in delighting in your Savior, delighting in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we don't feel like we're forgiven. Sometimes we forget the depths of what God has done for us in our forgiveness. But if you're a Christian today, God wants to remind you that you are fully redeemed. You are fully forgiven. He doesn't hold that against you any longer. This forgiveness is not based on my feelings. This forgiveness is not based on my situation. It's not even based on my faith. It's based on God's character and his character alone. His grace and his love for you. And so are you thankful today? Are you thankful for these things? We see these these four preeminent realities of, of God's grace for you. May that refuel your tanks of gratitude this morning. May it remind you of the grace of God in your life. That we have been graciously granted what we could not earn. That we have been mercifully liberated from our bondage to darkness. We have been radically raised to new life in Christ. We have been eternally forgiven the totality of our sin. And so Paul's writing, God's writing to you. Continue in that thankfulness. Continue in that gratitude. Keep reminding yourself of what God has done. You need to remind yourself. That's the gospel. We often forget. Remember that he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So in this text, and what we've already seen in Colossians up to this point, we see Paul, he's, he's really setting a tee. If anybody, anybody's golfed before, you set the tee, and then you put the ball on top. The ball is coming next. In the next section, in a couple of weeks, we'll be talking about the preeminence of Christ. That he is the very fullness of God. He is the source of all of this, and we are about him. He is preeminent in all things. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you are so faithful to teach us about what you have done for us. Lord, we do forget. Lord, we do get distracted. Lord, we do uh, get lost in the fog of this world, and we need to hear it. Lord, may our hearts rejoice. May we rejoice in thankfulness and gratitude for what you have done. Lord, would you produce thankful, joyful worship in your people as we recall these preeminent realities. That you have saved us from ourselves, that you have saved us to you, to your church, to grow us and to transform us into your image, that we would have our full and lasting satisfaction in you and in you alone. May we find our absolute eternal joy in you. 
We thank you for this time in your word. Continue to teach us. Be with us as we fellowship together after church and as we continue to sing of your name. In Jesus' name.